0: iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Cleo. Ten decisions shape your life. You
1: be aware of five above. Seven ways to go through school. I need you to take Cleo you know to stop you come back. I don't
0: know. Seven ways to get ahead. Seven reasons to drop up when I say. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome tonight's guest, Sophia Coppola, and this evening's guest moderator, Eugene Hernandez from the Film Society of Lincoln Center.
1: Thank you. Hello.
2: Thanks for coming today. Um, Definitely going to get to your questions. I have a couple to get us started. Um, this is really exciting because th- this, this stage uh, and these events here, these Meet the Filmmaker events at the Apple Store Soho, have welcomed some incredible filmmakers. Obviously, uh, the Coen brothers earlier this week, David Fincher recently, Wong Kar Wai, uh, so many terrific directors, and um, making her first appearance on this stage to talk about her latest film is Sophia Coppola. Let's give her another hand for joining us today. Thank you for taking time out of what I'm sure is a very busy promotional schedule to talk about your movie. Um,
1: Thanks for having me.
2: It's interesting. I was thinking about this um, on the way down here today, and you know, your previous three features has, have obviously placed uh, young women at the center, um, and in this case um, there's, there's a young girl who's who's certainly um an important character in this film but we're we're kind of viewing her through the the prism of her father uh and he's he's um the main character um but it's but in my head it's also a, it's also quite quite about uh, about the young girl as well. Um tell me a bit about uh the inspiration for the movie. Uh Steven Dorf plays an actor. Tell me about some of the uh, the ideas that inspired this this story.
1: Um, okay yeah I I was living in Paris after I made can you hear me? Okay. Okay. Um, after I made Marie Antoinette, I was living in Paris, and that movie was so my feminine side, and so girly, and so decorative, and, and I kind of OD'd on, uh, you know, frills and cookie cakes and all that stuff. So Michelons I, um, yeah. So I was, um, I think, in the mood to do something different, and I, I thought I was curious to try to do a, um, a story from a guy's point of view because it's something I haven't done. And also something very minimal and um, sparse, just kind of in contrast to what I would just been working on. And I was curious to, I met um, the cinematographer, Harris Savides, who is great. We, we shot a commercial and we were talking about what we liked and didn't like about filmmaking. And kind of got excited about the idea of how simply you could tell a story. And I got into the idea of trying to do a portrait of just this guy at this moment in his life. And, um, and how simply we could, could do that in his film.
2: So the idea of exploring um, a character in a minimalistic way you've also placed this character in an environment in an environment where he is very sort of secluded and, and he, he's, a, he's an actor he's he's famous and he's living in this in this hotel that obviously uh, for folks that know the Chateau Marmont in, in los angeles is is sort of this uh, this hermetic environment um, uh, what were you what were you thinking about in terms of um, well here let me ask it let me ask it this way uh, to what extent do, does the audience need to have a view of Steven Dorf and his previous career and his or his, his past work um, to to sort of bring um, an interpretation to this idea of this actor in in this particular film?
1: What does the audience uh, need? To know I guess. About I guess. Him? To what oh. extent
2: um, are you are you hoping that the audience will bring sort of an awareness of of Steven Dorf, the actor? Um, when they 're watching him playing this 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 character
1: yeah i didn 't think about that I think you don 't need to know anything about him and um and i and I liked um casting him besides i think he 's a great actor and brings a lot of heart to it that we don 't know everything about his personal life so when you watch it, you can just get into him as this guy and this character and and um and I really wanted to make this story from his the character 's point of view that he's he 's um kind of drifting it, and lost in this life of kind of handlers and indulgences and and it's kind of a movie star uh life that the other side that we we don't see um the you know the kind of less glamorous what happens you know the next morning and and in his times his quiet time alone and i just think there's such a fascination with celebrity culture today that um and i was kind of curious to to, to look at the other another side of that and how fulfilling those things might be that all oh, it sounds great he 's got you know tons of girls and parties and a Ferrari It sounds like it should be fun, but you know what that would be like if that 's just all there is all the time kind of um so I was curious to look at that and also um I was living in France and um kind of cut off from American pop culture, so when a friend would visit and bring a tabloid, it looked really um, more interesting because you don 't see that all the time there, so I was kind of thinking about. You see a picture of some movie star at the Chateau Marmont in Los Angeles. And um, I was thinking about it, I wanted to do a, a real portrait of LA mm-hmm. too.
2: Um, now, one of the things I'm, I'm wondering about also, and obviously um, I was thinking about the fact that um, cinema seems to be a very personal thing to you. It's a very personal form of expression. Um, and obviously someone who you grew up clearly in, in and around film and cinema your whole life. Um, and I know you've talked about this before but I think it'd be worth exploring further the The time of your life when you started exploring the idea of cinema being a, a way for you to personally express yourself and um, obviously your um, the way you grew up uh, opened that up to you as a possibility but when did you really kind of own that? When did you really uh, embrace that I guess?
1: Um, yeah there were always kind of video cameras around and we made Super Eight movies with my dad, when we were really young, but um when I was older we made like, we always had video eight cameras and my friends and I would make little movies with my brother but um I never thought I would do that for my profession. It never occurred to me and um I, I I started i guess like my first films were um, in junior high, I hated writing reports so um, I remember asking my teacher if I could make a v- video film about George Washington's life instead of writing a report. So um, they agreed. And, uh, and doing like things like that to get out of writing reports, I think, were my first... So it's easier to
2: express your... You found it a more yes, easier I, way to express yourself. Yeah, to
1: do it in visuals. And, um, but then I... Uh, yeah, I guess in my 20s, I, didn't, I was interested in a lot of different things and kind of frustrated that I couldn't find one thing that I was really good at that I would want to focus on just that one thing because i i liked photography and design and you know different different things and um i had a a clothing company with a friend of mine in my early 20s we had a business and then um and then i made a short film and i felt like oh this combines all the things that i love and i can add music and um and it was exciting to me that all the things came together and it was actually useful to know a little bit about these different areas and not be an expert at one one thing and i got to work with people that were and um so that was the first time I, you know, really thought about it. But it um it wasn't until I read the Book of the Virgin Suicides okay. that I got really motivated to say I'm gonna make a movie, um, because I loved that book and I heard they were making a movie and I felt like, oh no, I hope they do it this way, I hope they don't do that and um and I felt so possessive about kind of protecting this book that I loved that it um it motivated me to I, I started writing the screenplay, adapting the book just as an exercise for myself to learn how to adapt a book into a screenplay. I'd, I'd never written one before. Um, I'd, I'd written shorts before. And um, so I was working on that and then I, I finished the script and I went to the producers because by then I was so into it. I really felt like I had this whole idea of how it should be made and um, I went to the producers and luckily they you know considered me and, um, and, and that's how I started making films.
2: Clearly, um, clearly, music has always played a core aspect of that. And putting, You've mentioned design and other aspects, but let's talk about music for a moment. Because when I think about The Virgin Suicides, um, it's, it's kind of impossible now to listen to that air soundtrack without kind of being transported to the film. Um, it, 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 it's so much a part of that film. Um, and clearly music, uh, and we'll talk a bit more about the music in this, fil- in this film as well, but maybe you could talk more generally about about the the influence that music has on your creative process and or the way that um, your own films influence the kinds of musical choices you make, sort of what um, role they play.
1: Yeah, I always, um, I've always listened to music when I'm writing, and I feel like it helps kind of get in the atmosphere of what that story is. And when I was writing Virgin Suicides, I... I just uh, was at a record store, and someone at the store recommended that album. Or I, maybe I bought it because of the, I was—I don't know, I was looking at the artwork. Anyway, I didn't, so I started listening to that Air album when I was writing the script, mm-hmm. and um, and it just seemed to relate to the, the mood of what I was working on, and so I thought um, to ask them to, to do the music for it. And then, um, uh, so yeah, even now, whenever I write, I listen to music, and a lot of times the music ends up, in the movie or similar. Um, There was a Brian Ferry song that I Mm -hmm. used to listen to over and over when I was writing this. It's in the end credits and mm -hmm. um, some Sebastian Tellier and and Phoenix's Love Like a Sunset that we used in a film. So for me, it helps me when I'm writing and then it just becomes um, a part of it. And I also put together kind of a scrapbook of visual references at the same time with the music and it starts to be the the beginning point of of the story.
2: Mm -hmm, So at the time, uh, you mentioned having lived in Paris. You mentioned, um, and, and at the time you made Marie Antoinette, I believe, I didn't check the date on this, but I believe some, t- some point after that you had a child. Um, I can only imagine that that um, played into your decision to make a young girl or, or child an important character in this, in this minimalist story that you decided to explore. So what, have you thought about what impact that had on, on the story itself or the ideas?
1: yeah definitely. My, um My daughter was born. I took the year off to be with her, and then when I started getting back to wanting to write, um, you know it was really on my mind um, you know what that experience had been like and how it changes your perspective and your priorities and so I was thinking a lot about becoming a parent, and so I thought it would be interesting what what it'd be like for this guy if he had a, had a daughter and and um, yeah, so that's how the daughter character came in.
2: Um. I have a couple more questions, but I want to give the large crowd here a chance to ask their questions as well, um, and they know there's a microphone that if you have a question, raise your hand there's a microphone that we will bring to you so i'll let uh, I'll let my colleagues from here at Apple choose where to go first, but is there a microphone on this side, or are we only on that side? Okay, so Matt's on that side coming around the back. so we're going to go right over here into the uh, fifth fourth or fifth row. Hi. Um, There was a lot of reaction in Lost in Translation to, of course, the whispering scene. And similarly, there was a lot of reaction in Marie Antoinette to the converse shot. And I'm wondering if, as you're moving along, you think of these moments and um, you wonder, gee, are people going to focus on that a lot? Or are these complete surprises? Yeah, I am. Yeah,
1: they're... Well, with Lost in Translation, the the whisper that I never thought that that would be anything. I, I'm always surprised that that's something that people really notice. The converse shop marine internet. I didn't think of it as a big deal. We kind of just threw that in for fun. But um, I could see how that would stick out and that people would ask about that. But um, yeah, I guess you never you never know. I don't really. Yeah, I'm always surprised. I'm always surprised what the things are that stick out. I'm not sure what they are here. <laughs>
2: There's a there's a question way in the back. I see a hand, kind of near the uh, near the poster behind the microphone. It's a rare stand, uh, uh, not too I rare, but a, a little, standing room only event here.
1: Um, first off, I'm a huge fan. Thank you. Thank Your you. films are wonderful. Um, but two questions, if you will. The first, uh, you said you didn't like to write much when you were younger. Um, did you get straight into screenplays, or did you ever write fiction stories first? And um, do you think it's a huge leap to go from that uh, form of writing into screenplays? Um, I had written a few kind of little stories, but I was never um, that big of a writer. I, I, I wrote a few kind of short stories, small small things, but um, I... I find screenwriting easier. I don't know easier. I it's um yeah, I guess for me when you're writing a script it's not the final result so so when you write a a story or something else it's I feel like you choose your words more you have to be more careful because that's the final um way it's going to be where I feel like writing for a film I feel more freedom just to write whatever because it's not it's just a notes into how to make the movie and it's not um really meant to exist on its own if that makes sense so i feel kind of more relaxed about it and um and um yeah screenwriting i i just um yeah i i I think i I wrote my short film but but with virgin suicides i i that's how i kind of i learned i kind of learned how to adapt a book by by going through that And just, if you don't mind, one more question. Um, In today's art form, and as a director, do you feel you need to know more about the technologies, you know, being here at Apple, talking about Final Cut Pro, things like that? Or is it more creative? I feel like, luckily, I work with um, people that that are more tech-savvy, so I don't have to learn about it. I'm not very good at that. And I I love gadgets and toys, but I am... I I don't know that much about them, so I I'm glad to work with people that do. So I I, don't, I feel like as a director it's great if you if you know about all that, but if you don't, that you get to work with people that do, so it's okay. I
2: want to switch gears a little bit and talk. Uh, let me ask a question, and then we'll go to another one. Um, I was just I was just thinking as as we were talking a little bit, um, thinking about influences and thinking about cinematic influences, um, in particular with this film. Um, it's it's presented in a very minimalist way. Um, I- I'm wondering if there were particular films that you were watching after Marie Antoinette that in, that that sort of uh, beyond just the idea of making something that's that's more um, spare or sparse. Um, were there particular films or filmmakers that informed sort of the look of the film or some of the ideas behind it? Um,
1: yeah, I. I watched *Paper Moon*, the McDonald's film, which I've always loved because of the. I wanted to look at the father-daughter relationship. It's kind of like a buddy movie between them, and it, I showed it to the actors, and um, you know, said I loved the the spirit of that, and um, and I oh, I watched *American Gigolo* again and *Shampoo*, and I was just thinking about those really iconic LA movies and, and wanting to do something like that for today's LA that felt like LA, and. Um, uh, and then my brother told me about a Fellini short film Toby Dammit w- when I told him this idea and it's about a an actor and there's a Ferrari um, in it and a, and a film festival kind of this, it's, it's more dark but it, it's related it has things that are definitely related to this so I find it yeah helpful to to watch other things and then for the look of it I I, I looked at um, photography books with Harris Savides a cinematographer and we we talked about we looked at photos as
2: references. Are there particular and photographers you can remember that, that you guys uh, pinpointed? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I, when I was writing, I, I looked at a lot of Helmut Newton photographs because he lived at the Chateau Marmont. I wanted to have those kind of helmet girls in that decadent world. and, they, and, and Because they do a lot of fashion shoots there. And There's a scene towards the end where he comes back in the hotel and there's a topless girl getting her hair cut, which is from a Helmut Newton photograph. And um, And I looked at Bruce Weber photos for this kind of young movie star portraits. And paul jasmine who's um who was my photo teacher, he did a lot of portraits of um kind of young people in l a and then Harris showed me some things um i can we looked at one book I can't remember who the photographer was, but we looked through things for the colors and and
2: that i'm going to take a leap is there is there a little bit of uh the brown bunny in the opening scene to the movie? I've
1: never seen that people have keep asking me that so um I haven't seen it.
2: Someone, um, someone sort of skewed my perspective because I hadn't seen the film yet, and and he said he said watch the opening scene. You're going to think of uh, the brown bunny. So of course I was, I was skewed going. I thought I was
1: being so original, and um, but no, I haven't seen that.
2: (laughs) Um, Okay, so more. I think there was a question you were trying to find over here. I don't want to cut them off.
0: Hi, Uh, hi. Um, My question is from uh, about like
2: the director's craft i've I've started assistant directing a little bit on um independent films, and I noticed that some directors go into a project and they assemble their team um based on th- you know the thinking that th- this team can help um, execute their vision and then other directors seem to assemble a team that you know where where the director can sort of choose the best ideas and uh, assemble a team based on who he or she thinks can sort of um you know come up with the best ideas and then pick and choose from those to assemble um, the film. So where do you sort of fit into that?
1: What was the the first choice was...
2: To... The first choice is, you know, the director has a vision right. and they assemble their team based on who's going to... So without yeah. really deferring any decision-making to anyone else.
1: Oh, yeah, I think um, I, if I have to choose between the two, I would fall more in the first category. I feel like I have a really strong idea of what I want to make and what it looks like. But um, but then when we're filming, it's, it's really a collaborative um, you know effort. That's... You know the fun of it when i'm writing i'm all alone thinking of the story and then i get to be on set with all these you know great um artists and technicians and you know collaborating so i have a strong idea and then of course they with the art department they'll give me you know choices of what couch or whatever and then i choose or working with a cinematographer um i feel like it's you know we 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 look at the the rehearsal of the actors and we really you know, he'll suggest where to put the camera, and I'll I'll agree with that, or I'll say, oh, well, let's try it over here. So I feel like it's um, you know, really collaborative. But I always I start out with a clear idea so that I'm able to hopefully communicate that to them and also make decisions based on what I'm trying to do. And I always try to stay and um, like have a clear idea of what who the story's point of view is from. And in this, it's it's all through the the main character's point of view. So I try to make all my decisions based on coming from that.
2: Mm-hmm. Looks like there's a question right in front there of the last gentleman. Hi. Hey, so uh, I, have, I have another uh,
0: kind of directorial question. Uh, so when doing a film and working closely with uh, an adult actor playing an adult and uh, a child actress playing a child, um, do, do you find that there, there needs to be... Um, uh, they need a lot of direction uh the the child actress ne- needs more or less direction to play you know a child you know as a you know a role that you know they play in life but with you know in the setting of uh the relationship that they're in, or do you find that the uh the adult has uh an easier time of it who would yeah
1: oh um
0: I think there's
2: something interesting there about the dynamic. You're, I think you're trying to. I think you're asking about the dynamic between an adult and a child, and perhaps a child might play too, try to play too much like an adult, and you have to sort of strip down, make them be more childlike. Is that what you're saying? Yeah.
0: Or, or if they just step right into it, and you're still saying, you know, oh, you know, you need you need to regard your daughter like this, that sort of thing. And you know, like, uh, but uh, I, I, I'm just curious because I could see a kid doing finding it completely natural or a challenge.
1: Yeah, I think it totally depends on on the kid. El Fanning was really a natural actress. So um she was very she's just smart and intuitive and um and she has a combination of being really mature and wise but then also really a kid. So I think that really um came through and um we t- you know I talked to to both of them about you know the kind of the approach of the film and the characters and then we did a lot of rehearsals and improvisations before filming so they we could they could get you know, kind of work things out and when we went to start filming they had um a, a real kind of rapport and it didn't feel like they just had met. So I think in the rehearsal process um they could ask me questions and and I could kind of give them feedback so they had an idea of of how we were working. But I, I didn't find a huge difference in working with um Elle as a kid and Steven as an adult. I think I think you feel kind of motherly to all your actors. Um, and you want to kind of take care of them. (laughs) And, um, I was worried that was coming here, here. Um, so, um, yeah, but I think there's, there's different, Uh, Elle wasn't, wasn't trained. So she doesn't have, um, she doesn't do kind of, she hasn't learned a bunch of like how to be cute actor things that some child actors have. And she's very kind of, yeah, works from her own ideas and natural. Um, I hope that answers your question.
2: Um, why don't we talk a little bit about working with Stephen? Um, you know, uh, after seeing the film, it, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine anyone else in that role, and I think that's perhaps I'm bringing to it part of my earlier question about sort of my, my awareness and knowledge of his career is, is sort of informing how I, how I view this character. Um, but let's talk a bit about the casting process there, your, your discussions with him, working with him to, to kind of build up this character, and then it seems like you kind of had to strip it back
1: yeah i he just came to mind when I was writing the script. I find it really helpful when I'm writing to picture an actor and um and I knew him through friends. I knew he was a really sweet guy, so I thought um because the character is so flawed and could be so unlikable, you needed someone that had that kind of sincerity and sweetness and um so he came to mind and um i yeah i just i taught... I think he was surprised at how sparse the script was he's not used to doing something that doesn't have it doesn't have very much dialogue and and it's um really him him in these kind of alone private moments and i think he was really up for the challenge and you know into it and i think a lot of times actors want to um try uh, what if i say this or what if i do that they want to do stuff and um so a lot of it a lot of our interaction was like no don't do anything and he's like sure I shouldn't do I know don't do anything and then he got he got with it cuz he hadn't worked that way and he got into it and um and um and then i i was glad we, we worked that way so when you see the film there is this very kind of vulnerable stripped down performance i think
2: um, you you mentioned writing this in the wake of Marie Antoinette, making this very uh, you know very rich, textured, uh, very designed and, and musically driven film. Um, at what exact point did you start writing this? Was it um, after the film had already been released, or was it uh, literally you finished uh, shooting it and you started writing something else? Or how did that? At what stage, I guess?
1: After Marie Antoinette. Yeah, um, yeah no, I took a year off when my daughter was born, and I took a year off. To be with her, and then I started thinking about what I wanted to write. I, I find writing really hard, especially starting. So I kind of put it off as long as I could, and then I um, started thinking about yeah, what I wanted to write about.
2: Where's the microphone? Are we still on that side? Or are we on this side? We have
0: time for two more questions. One in we'll the back left. One over here. Oh hi. Um, I just wanted to ask you, what is your process working with actors? And basically, has it evolved with every movie you've done? Has it changed a lot? Um, Especially when it comes to very emotional scenes, because it seems to me you just said, oh, don't do anything, don't do anything. So what if you really want some sort of explosion? Um, And also I wanted to know, um, if you do rehearsals, obviously you do, but um, do you have every shot planned or... Do you kind of go with the flow when you go to the place, and you just kind of try to let it flow and f- and find the shots at, mo- at the at the moment? Thank you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't always just say don't do anything. There's <laughs> there I'm more involved with them, but th- there were some scenes where he had to just be alone. There's a scene where he's just sitting smoking a cigarette alone, and and I wanted that to be just him alone and stuck and not, um, you know finding things to distract from from that and um i i like to talk when we're filming i i i I learned that from my dad so i'll just talk during a scene if if i have an idea there's um there's a scene where there's very little dialogue but they're looking at each other at this breakfast table and there's a lot going on i like the things that um that you can communicate without without words just by a look or a gesture and so sometimes i'll talk during the scene and and say something to, um, to asking that actor to convey that, but without dialogue and um, and then I find rehearsals and doing improvisations before filming helpful to um, kind of form the dynamic between the relationships
2: let me, let me insert a quick question that that I hope makes sense what do you th- I was thinking about the the striking difference between Marie Antoinette and this film in terms of its uh, again we 've talked about the minimalist aspects of this movie. I wonder what you took from Marie Antoinette and brought to this experience, and then likewise, I wonder what um, going in this more minimalist direction you might take from this experience and and sort of bring to whatever your next project is. Have you thought about that sort of? Uh, I'm thinking about as it in terms as the of actors the actors uh, or in general. I'm not sure which way you might take it. I mean, you could take it in relation to the actors or in relation to your own sort of um, approach as a filmmaker. Because I I, I sort of imagined um, Marie Antoinette being. Uh, a much more, and I could be wrong, a much more intense sort of grueling experience, just uh, so, much, so much, you know, the period aspects of it, everything else. So I'm wondering what that sort of, that working on that scale brings and, and gives you as a filmmaker when you're working in this more sort of minimalist way. And then again, yeah. where it takes you.
1: Oh yeah, I'm not sure where, where it will take me yet, but I definitely thought Marantanet was really um, very daunting, a huge undertaking with a huge crew and hours and hours of costuming and makeup and extras and and it was um it was almost like organizing a uh, troops or something it was a different um a different thing than this which was very small and intimate and I could really focus on these two characters and um and I I like working this way because the focus is really on, on yeah just an intimate story and also there's more flexibility and freedom I think on a, a big period movie you can't just switch gears easily because there's so much involved. Where this, we could say, "Oh, you know what? Let's just run down the hallway and get a shot, or we you know what we feel like." So I think I could be more more flexible, um, which which I really enjoyed. And and having a small crew, we had um we had to have a small crew to film in the real hotel room, and then and then yeah, we could move around and do things. Oh, let's just go out to the balcony because it looks nice out right now, or try try things more. Yeah, so I it'd mean, be more I was experimental.
2: Wondering about that in the hallway specifically. I mean, it's you, it's Harris, it's I mean, yeah. how many people?
1: I mean, we had a, a bigger crew, but uh, I don't know how many people, but when we were shooting in the room, it would be like maybe six of us or something. And, and it was fun. It was more like film school where, um, you know, I could fix their hair and everyone could help out in different departments, where on big movies there's all the rules about you can't touch a prop if you're in the costume department. And and it has, it has a more homemade feeling, which I like.
2: I imagine that could isolate you as a filmmaker to a certain extent because you sort of have less of the ability to sort of...
1: Yeah, it's nice when it's small and you can just all help out and it feels more, yeah, homemade. But I'm not sure, um, yeah, where, where I'll go from here. We, I think
2: we do a, can we do another question? We um, have a question right over here. There. there we go.
0: Um, when you make a smaller, more intimate film like this, I guess uh, you're sort of setting certain tools aside, you know, less costuming, less period. Uh, did you find that there was a pressure or a, a worry that it, you may not be engaging as much as you could? or you know like you're making a tiny film you should make a big film you should have more visually going on
1: um no i think it was just really important to ha- you know to to have um the characters and the acting be engaging because you can't rely on other things to entertain the audience i guess you know there isn't um there isn't as much to look at so it's really focused on their performances and um but i yeah i didn't feel a pressure in that I mean, I, I guess I felt I had to focus on that, I had to focus on um really the characters and the and their performances, because there yeah, there wasn't anything else to fall back on I think.
2: Uh, besides promoting this film, and which opens December twenty second, uh, the Angelica at the Angelica here in New York, and for those listening on iTunes and a number of other cities around the country as well, um, and raising your daughter and everything else, are you are you doing other? Are you writing right now, or are you, what else are you doing? Um, are you designing other things? Are you? I mean, you have so many uh, other projects. Oh
1: uh, no, I am. Um, I've just been kind of focused on getting this this movie out and the promotion, and I get really involved in like all the posters for each territory. So really? I find it. Um, pretty consuming until the movie comes out so I'm excited for it to come out and then take a little break and get back to writing but um, and yeah spending some time with my family and then um, yeah I'm not sure what I'm going to start writing I have a few ideas but I'm not sure what they're going to turn into
2: well uh, the film was, was the, big, the big winner at the Venice Film Festival this year congratulations to Sofia Coppola I hope you all get a chance to see somewhere thanks for coming
1: thanks for coming thank you